All right, as you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. We're going to be visiting the armor of God this morning. And I really appreciate how uh, Lisa has postured our morning. Um, I had toyed around with the idea of just not going back to the topic of spiritual warfare this week, but um, I felt like I wanted to... um, Come back again and just give us a list of things to do. Okay, so in, in the real world, in life, when it comes to battle, when it comes to police work, when it comes to international warfare, there's a lot of stuff to do. Okay, it's, it's a lot of doing. A lot of people doing things. And same in spiritual warfare. There's going to be a lot of doing. Okay, and so what I've been trying to uh, get us to see over the last few weeks is just to remember that there is such a thing as a spiritual world. Okay, there's a physical world, which is you and me and our bodies and touching and electrons and nerves and cross-checking in hockey and and gold and silver and rubies and uh, airplanes and physics and chemistry and, and all that great stuff. And uh, the story of what happens in the physical world is, is kind of our history. I've been saying that there's such a thing as kind of an intellectual world. So there's the, what's going on in between your ears and how you see things and what you think. And that really counts because, again, I'm going to bring it up every time because you know it. Um, every time there's a hockey game, half of the people who are watching it are rooting for one side and half are rooting for the other side. Whenever a goal is scored, half the people get upset and half the people cheer. Why? It's the same physical world, but because of what's going on in between their ears, some people are happy or some people are sad. That's the kind of the intellectual world. And then I've also been just trying to remind us that there is such a thing as a spiritual world. God is a spirit and he came first and he created a world that's a physical world, intellectual world, but he also um, created spirits in this world. And the faithful ones, the obedient ones, are called angels, which is just the Greek word for messengers. They're God's messengers. He sends them to do his bidding. But there also was a great rebellious spirit, which is sometimes called Satan and sometimes called the devil, and sometimes appears as a snake or a dragon in Scripture. And he uh, somehow also leads or controls um, a group of also rebellious spirits that are sometimes called demons and sometimes called unclean spirits. And, uh, and this is real. And this is real and, and active even, even in our world where, where we don't publicly think that this is true. It's okay to think this stuff in some movie theaters. It's okay to think, think this stuff some places. But uh, generally, um, you know, if you were running for office and Steinbeck during the elections, and you're like, what, I re- what Steinbeck really needs is some deliverance ministry because there's a whole lot of demons running around in town. You, you would probably not do well because you're kind of not allowed to believe in demons in public in Canada, right? Which is great for them. But as Christians, we need to know that there is such a thing as a spiritual world. God is a spirit, and we're spiritual beings. We're, we're not just physical beings. We are spiritual beings, meaning that we relate up spiritually to God, and we also um, are impacted spiritually by the spiritual entities that 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 come into contact with us. However, they do that. The Bible promises that God um, sends His angels to believers as ministering spirits to serve us, and it also warns us that we will 
run into the bad guys periodically, and sometimes that they will have missions for us. But you shouldn't be afraid. The last thing a Christian should do is be afraid of this stuff. And so my big message this morning is um, we are not ill-equipped for spiritual warfare. You're not ill-equipped. And that's what Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God, is all about. You're not ill-equipped. You're not hamstrung. You're not um, showing up to a gunfight with a spoon. You're not ill-equipped. You're equipped in Christ to deal with the spiritual warfare that God will allow or send your way. And so I've titled this message Full Salvo because... um, a full salvo is, if you don't know, and I, you know, I'm not a military guy, but I, I like the books. Um, a full salvo is in the Navy when you fire all your guns at once. It's, it's when you fire all your guns at once. And yeah, thank you, Tony. A little bit louder next time. And so there was this really big naval battle. Many of us have played the game Battleship, which is just boring, um, but can be fun. But in the real world, there was a time when the battleship was the biggest ship and the most dangerous ship in the world. There were these humongous iron or steel boats that would, could travel almost anywhere in the world, and they carried these gigantic cannons, which were like longer than your house, and that you could crawl inside of. And at one end of these cannons, they would have like 100 pounds of gunpowder and would fire charges that would explode when they hit things. And these were the most dangerous things in the world. And in World War II-ish, the balance of power went more towards aircraft carriers because they could fire off all these airplanes and now jets that can fly a lot farther than a cannon shot can and blow up things from farther away. But for a while, these battleships were the biggest thing ever. And sometime between First World War and Second World War, there was this humongous battleship battle. And what happened was there, there was this one nation and all their ships were kind of just cruising along in a straight line and the other admiral pulled a quick one on them because he, he was steaming towards them, but then he turned and so that all of his ships were turned sideways and he had all of his guns and they would often have like 16 cannons pointed in one direction and he just had each ship turn and then fire all their guns at these ships and they just blew them all up. And it was a full salvo attack. Like the command was turn and when you were pointed in their direction, shoot all your guns. And so this morning I want to talk about nine different cannons that we have that we can fire off when we're in spiritual battle. You're not ill-equipped. That's what Ephesians chapter 6 is about. You're not ill-equipped to fight against Satan's schemes. You're not ill-equipped to fight spiritual battles. You're not ill-equipped in life as a spiritual warrior. In fact, you have a lot of cannons, and the problem is we usually fire off one, if ever, and if that doesn't end the battle on the first shot, we, we run away. And that's not good warfare. All right. Now, let me just say, I know Steinbeck is Mennonite, and um, we're all pacifists and stuff like this, but I think Menno Simon said somewhere something like, I I refuse to be a real soldier in the world because I am too much a soldier of Christ. And so you're welcome to not ever be a Navy admiral as long as in the spiritual realms you know how to blow things up. That's your excuse. You're okay to be a pacifist as long as in the spiritual realm you know how to blow things up. Amen? Come on. Somebody's sitting there thinking, this sounds like work. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Don't you want to change the world or anything at all? Yes. Okay. I, I have a clicker. and I'm not afraid to use it. Okay, so why don't we read this together? This is God speaking to us through the Apostle Paul. And so I'm going to count to three, and I want you to invite you to read it out loud with me, all right? 
One, two, three. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And amen. Now, sometimes, um, because we forget about spiritual warfare, we get up to about halfway through where it says, for we do not wrestle, and we just stop. And that's the truth, right? We do not wrestle. Amen. You know, Scripture means a lot of different things depending on if you wait and finish the whole sentence. We don't wrestle. Amen. Time for lunch. Early picnic. No, that's not what it means. It's we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning we, we're, not, we're not here to fight with people. We're, we're not here to punch people in the face ultimately. Though if there is a situation where you need to punch somebody in the face legally and rightfully, like you're defending somebody or a police officer or something like that, go ahead and don't feel bad and make sure you pray for them afterwards and all that good stuff. Follow up with them at the remand center. Um, but we're not called in Christ to hate people themselves but to fight against the spiritual forces of darkness that are at work in the world, at work against Christ, and sometimes manifest itself through the behavior and actions of people. That's Paul's beginning encouragement. We're not wrestling against people, which means that ultimately we don't try to extend the kingdom with guns and swords, per se, or threats or manipulation. We, We fight against spiritual forces and through that, we use spiritual means for the spiritual fight. And so Paul is going to lead us through the armor of God. And he says there in verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and he starts off with this, having fastened on the belt of truth. So your first cannon that you get to fire off as a warrior for God is the truth. And there are many ways that you can fire off the truth. And the first is just learning some doctrine. Don't get confused and don't get intimidated by the word doctrine. It's a great word. It's a church word. Church, the church is allowed to invent words. I've got, I've invented a word that's going to appear in this message on the PowerPoint slide. Don't let anybody make you feel stupid about this thing. Just learn. Doctrine just means like teaching, the teaching of the truth. And there, if you didn't know what it meant before, you're smarter and pat yourself on the back, but don't get proud. And away we go. Just the truth. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Spirit? What has Jesus accomplished on the cross? The truth is powerful. And whenever you're having a fight with somebody, whoever starts saying, you know what, the truth is this, is usually going to be the winner in the fight. You know, we have, we have conflicts in our house just like anybody else, and I'm happy to say that, that in this case, I, I am the champion of starting the fights. I'm sure I start more than half of them, which is quite an accomplishment when there's seven people in the house. But everything changes when people start saying, look, this is the truth. The truth of God is a weapon because the enemy is a liar and he wants to defeat you by lying to you, telling you things that aren't true about yourself, aren't true about God. And so the truth is a weapon. We also use truth as a weapon for our advantage when we do things like repent. Repent is the truth mixed together with humility, where we say, look, I'm wrong, and I'm going to own it, and I'm going to change. 
The Word of God says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So in spiritual warfare, you want to be as humble as possible because God gets ready to give you grace, which leads to giving you the victory. So wherever we can repent, look, I'm thinking wrong here, I'm acting wrong here, you will have the victory. And repentance also leads to the confession of sin, where you grab somebody or phone somebody up and say, look, I did something wrong here and I just want to bring it into the light. Um, I, I'm pretty sure there are people right now that you're bound up, emotionally bound up, relationally, because there's something you did and nobody knows about it. And if you will bring it to somebody trustworthy and say, look, I need to walk in the light with you on it, after you're done saying it and getting prayed for it, you will feel freer than you have felt in days, weeks, months, or years. And, and that is spiritual warfare. Does the enemy want you to be free? If they had the choice... If, if you had to go into battle with people and you could choose whether or not they wore army boots into battle or they wore lead boots that were chained up to a brick wall somewhere, which one would you choose? The chained up lead boots because they would be able to move and they'd be a lot easier to pick off. Right? You're like, I don't want to think about this. Baloney, you played GoldenEye when you were a kid. You care about this stuff. And everybody knows that Oddjob is the worst because he was tinier than everybody else and you could never hit him. What am I even talking about here? It matters coming into the truth. Um, out of World War II, they, there became this really weird story about this really faithful Japanese soldier, though he shouldn't have been. Um, the Japanese army was a mixture of military force and emperor worship. They were a religion which is partially why they were willing to do those kamikaze things, because they were fighting for their god. And um, that's really changed since then, so don't take any of the story I'm about to tell you and start judging anybody nowadays by it. But there's a story that came out of World War II where there was this one Japanese soldier who didn't hear the radio broadcast when the emperor went on the radio to announce that Japan was surrendering to the Allied forces. And um, one historian, just to prove the point that this is a weird thing, the... Uh, the Japanese, when they were hearing the emperor's voice on the radio for the first time ever, many of them started to bow down and actually like do obeisance to the radio because they were hearing the voice of God, their God through the radio. But there was this one Japanese soldier on an island somewhere who never got the, the, the message that they'd surrendered. And so he spent like the next 10 years fighting. He would do these little raids on the villages and steal stuff. And he just was like, he had a, a little outpost and he was maintaining his outpost. And when he needed supplies, he would go and just like in the night and steal stuff. And eventually what they needed to do was they needed to get a, a, a high-ranking officer from the current Japanese military to go out to the jungle with a bullhorn and say, soldier, just to let you know, I am so-and-so from the military. <laughs> he surrendered, you can come out now. Now, on the one hand, good for him. On the other hand, the fact that he was not living in the truth really was really ridiculous. And so we, we need to be living in the truth as much as possible because the truth is warfare. Amen? Now, one of the things that makes spiritual warfare kind of funny is that we don't always know what's going on, and partly because spirits are invisible, so you can't always tell when one's here. You can't always tell when one's doing something. They usually don't show up in the movies like some green slime ball that looks like a mutated marshmallow with um, sausages in its mouth and then slime you or whatever. They don't do that. And so um, you don't really know what's there. And so I have two responses to the, the, to the question, how do I tell if it is spiritual warfare and it's not just a cold or it's not just um, providence or what? How do you tell? And the first answer is this. 
Um, sometimes it just takes some guesswork. Okay? But we shouldn't be too intimidated by that. When Jackie and I were flying to Bulgaria, we sat beside this, um, or maybe it was on the way home, I can't remember. We sat beside this, this young lady who was a foot doctor. And she was interested in what we were doing. And, and I was interested in what she does, because I find medical stuff intriguing. And one of the comments was, she said, I'm, I was so shocked as I was, I was done medical school and I was getting trained by a foot doctor. And I, she said, I was, I was just really shocked because about 50% of the time we're just guessing what the problem is. She's like, it kind of looks like this, why don't you try this and we'll see how it turns out. She said, I was shocked how often we're just kind of stabbing at it. And I just want to say, like, look, if, if the doctors with the stethoscopes and the, and the x-rays, if sometimes they're just taking stabs at it, maybe we shouldn't be embarrassed just to take a stab at a kind of spiritual warfare as well. Like, if things are going bad, maybe you should just try casting it out and see what happens. Right? If, if there just is continually a yowling in a bush and it sounds like a cat, why don't you just throw a rock at it and see if it goes away? And if it's somebody related to you, you can say, that wasn't very smart that you were in there in the middle of the night. And you probably deserve that wealth you have. So on the one point, maybe it just takes some guess discernment. On the other hand, um, the Holy Spirit has given a gift to the church called the discernment of spirits. And there are people who are especially gifted by the Lord to help discern what's going on in a situation. And if you don't have somebody with that gift, you can ask for that gift. Holy Spirit, would you let me know, is this, is this demonic or is this just not? And if God is able to do anything, he is able to communicate to us. That is not hard for him. So every once in a while, somebody will come up to me at church and be like, this situation that's happening here, I get the heebie-jeebies about it. I'm not sure that this is the Lord. And, and amen. And I listen to that. And we pray through it because it's a gift of the Holy Spirit in the church that the Holy Spirit, would, who is invisible and a spirit, but knows what's going on in the spiritual realm, would reveal what's going on in the spiritual realm so that we can respond to it appropriately and not be tricked. Amen? Okay, weapon number two. Your righteousness. Uh, the, the scripture talks about fastening on a breastplate of righteousness, which is a defensive piece of armor, but at the same time, if you do a chest bump with somebody who has a breastplate on, you're hurt, and they're not. Amen? And the fact that people wear hockey gear allows them to te- uh, check people even harder than they wouldn't be able to, and I've got triple negatives running on here. Long story short, when you're wearing armor, you can fight harder and a bit more fearlessly. When you're wearing hockey gear, you can hit harder and be a little bit less worried. And so I want to tell you, fire off the cannon of your righteousness in Christ for pity's sake. You really, really are righteous in Christ. You really, really are righteous in Christ. And we've been talking about having an identity of being in Jesus. You actually are forgiven for your sins in Christ. You actually are already raised from the dead, and one day your body will catch up with you. You actually are a recipient of the true circumcision that sets you apart as a holy person belonging to Jesus in Jesus Christ. You actually are victorious in Jesus. This is your righteousness, and you have every right to wear it, and to kind of walk around like you're uncondemnable. I, th- I don't think that's a word. I'm making that word up, but it's a good word. Uncondemnable. Sometimes I'll have to admit when I make a mistake. Sometimes I'll have to confess when I've sinned. But because of Jesus, we're uncondemnable before God. 
because we've been condemned in Christ on the cross, and he already went to the grave carrying our judgment, carrying our condemnation, and he came out of it, and we came out of it with us. And there is such a thing as no double jeopardy in heaven. You can't be convicted of the same crime twice. You've already been acquitted in Christ. You're uncondemnable. Do you live like it, or do you carry around a lot of shame? Do you live like it, or do you carry around a lot of guilt? Do you live like God wants to treat you like you're racist? Or, sorry, righteous, not racist. That would be bad, but if he can fix that too. Maybe somebody in here needs to deal with a bad attitude about a people group this morning. Because of your righteousness in Christ, God really does want to answer your prayers. Because he's not in the business of holding your sins against you. And yes, sometimes he'll deal with stuff and he'll bring stuff up. And that's because you're his son, daughter, not because he's against you. Canon number three. I'm going to look over there and not press the button and wonder why it's taking so long. All right, there we go. The gospel of peace. Verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. One of the things that made the Roman army so um, dangerous was that they could travel really quickly. And one of the reasons they could travel so quickly is that they had super sandals. They had really heavy-duty sandals so that they could travel long distances without hurting their feet or without their sandals falling apart. And then when they finally got to battle, um, they could last really long in a fight because their feet didn't wear out. Now, you can imagine if you're having a fight out in our parking lot, okay, our parking lot, limestone parking lot, and it's just like a knockdown, drag him out brawl. That would be cool. Men's ministry, come on, let's do it. Um, if you had one side that had no shoes on, and another side that did have shoes on, which side is most likely to be, to be able to just endure longer? The ones with shoes, right? Because your feet would start hurting, and you're pushing and shoving and landing, and your feet get all cut up, and you don't want to walk on them. And so the Roman army could be really famous because they'd have these long, super, super long battles and there'd be less soldiers there, but all of a sudden the other guys would just be worn out. And then the Romans wouldn't be worn out. And then all of a sudden there'd be lots of... Every, the other guys are just like leaning on them and then... And they win. And part of that's their, they took care of their feet. They could, they could keep going. And this is what Paul is working on here. He's saying because of the gospel, you are equipped to be able to go and to work and to keep going and to travel and to endure and to stand in the fight. And, and so there's a few different ways I want to take this thing. Number one is because of the gospel of peace in your life, you are enabled to fire off the cannon of forgiveness whenever you need to. It's not always easy. Sometimes it feels wrong. Sometimes it feels burdensome. But you are able to wield the weapon of forgiveness for your own personal freedom anytime you need to because of the gospel of peace. What do I mean by this? What I mean by this is this. One of the ways to experience the most defeat spiritually in your life is to hold on to bitterness, unforgiveness, or anger. It is one of the best ways to embrace defeat, misery, feeling alienated from God, having rough relationships, lacking power in the Holy Spirit, and just pretty much having a torpedo blow up and sink your ship. The gospel of peace, the truth that through Christ you are reconciled with God and through the cross of Christ you have the power to forgive what seems like it could be unforgivable 
And there is a call from Christ to forgive those who God, to forgive people just the same way God has forgiven you. This is an extraordinary weapon that you can wield in spiritual warfare. The devil wants to keep you angry at people because then you're on his turf and on his territory and working as a mole. You're working as a double agent. You're, you're in the kingdom, but you're working for the other kingdom when you're stuck in unforgiveness or bitterness. Um, I, there is a book title, and I think we have the book in here, which is worth the price. Joyce Myers, who, um, bless her, I haven't read a lot of her stuff, but I appreciate that she does a lot of writing about um, fighting for your thought life. She's got a book called Do Yourself a Favor, Forgive, which is worth the price of admission. Hey, do yourself a favor, forgive people. Yeah, but them. No, do yourself a favor, forgive people. Yeah, but them. No, do yourself the favor, forgive people. Um, The gospel of peace also empowers us for mercy and kindness in weird situations. Um, Very few people who marched in the parade this weekend think that you could actually like them and love them. But because of the gospel of peace, you really can enjoy them, like them, and love them, and have a good relationship with them. Because of the gospel of peace, because God reached out to a bunch of people who hated him and sent his son to die for their sins so that he could be in relationship with them forever. Because of the gospel of peace, we are empowered for really radical mercy and kindness. Because of the craziness of the cross of Christ. This place where the life of Jesus was substituted for our life. This place where somebody else could die so that you could have peace with God. Now, I will say that there are lots of people who find the idea of substitution very um, offensive or not true. There are some religions that say, no, I want to stand before God with my own righteousness or my own, I want, just, I want to stand on my own two feet before God, which is spiritual suicide. Um, there are, yeah, just the idea that somebody else could die for you is offensive to some people. And I just want to float this idea past you. Just in the physical realm, what food do you eat to live that something didn't have to die for you to have? Besides Twinkies, because that's not food. I'm talking real food, like a Twizzler. That's just leftovers from refining oil. But even then, whatever, the dinosaurs... If you eat grain, those seeds could have lived. They are living seeds that could have been planted to leave, but you grind them up and you turn their life into death so that you can live. If you eat meat, that animal died so that you could live. And between those vegetables, they are alive before you, you eat that radicchio. It, it, every human being, we spend all day living off of something else, not living anymore. That's just food. Right? Something else dies so that you can live. Every meal you have. So why is it weird to think that God could actually send a sacrifice so that we could live spiritually and live eternally and live righteously with God when every single day... Like, what did you have for breakfast? Did you have some grains? Yes, that corn had to get pulverized so that you could live. All right. Canon number four. Now we're cooking with gas. Faith. 
So somebody recently was getting up here and she was talking about how God was talking about her prayer life. And God was kind of encouraging and confronting her because in her prayer life, she was standing behind the line of belief. I'm going to call it the line of belief where she was kind of standing in the, in the realm of unbelief, thinking that if God actually answered her prayers, that would be weird. Right? And God is saying, why don't you take a step forward into the line of faith where when I answer your prayers, you're thinking, that's not too weird. That's what God is kind of like. And I was hoping and expecting, and I asked, and he did it. I heard a testimony about that somewhere, sometime. And what that is, is that is faith. And, and God loves faith. The faith of believing that Jesus is raised from the dead, and also the life of faith. And so there is a place in Scripture where God commends somebody and says, let this be done to you according to your faith. And it could have been the woman who came to get her child healed, and I don't remember at this moment, but this is a principle. Blind Bartimaeus. How come he's not blind anymore? Who wasn't blind anymore? We shouldn't call him blind Bartimaeus. We should call him not blind Bartimaeus because he wasn't blind at the end of this story. How come he got his healing? Because he had enough faith to yell and keep yelling. People say, shut up. And, it, and Rob's preaching. Be quiet. And they're like, but I want to get healed. And so he kept on doing something to express his faith that he really did believe that Jesus could heal him and his faith and his deeds were working together and Jesus said to him, okay, let it be done according to your faith. And so faith is a weapon. Choosing to treat God like he is all-powerful and wants to do something and then acting according to it is probably the biggest gun you have. And one of the great things about faith, if it's number four on my list, is that you've already dealt with the truth of who God is and who you are. You've already proclaimed that you are righteous as a gift, and so you're not staring at everything you did wrong when you decided it's time to walk in faith. And you're already believing the gospel of peace, both your peace with God and God's willingness and desire to spread his peace throughout the world. So when it's time to walk in faith, you've already established the fact that God wants to do something. And that he's not just wanting to be your critic and say, nah Nuh-uh, your hair's not parted right. I don't like that. And so weapons that you can wield are, number one, an ambition in Christ. Ambition is a great Christian word. Read through Romans until you get there. What do you want to do for Jesus to change the world? And I, it could even just be in your front yard, your backyard, in this church. It doesn't have to be huge right off the bat. But do you have a faith-filled ambition? Do you have something you want Jesus to do that if he doesn't do, it won't happen? This is a weapon to believe that Jesus can change things and a willingness to take risks. A willingness to take risks by faith to give when it doesn't seem totally great, to go when it seems like it could be risky, to say yes to a responsibility you're not super excited about. Reality check, people in general aren't excited about responsibility, and that's a problem. I want to lead a church that's really excited about responsibility, um, especially you young guys. And I'm, I'm not being sexist, Um, the women tend to pick up the responsibility pretty quick because they go, something needs doing, nobody's going to do it, I'll do it. But for the guys, do you you have an ambition? Do you want to take risks? Do you actually want to carry spiritual responsibility? And if not, why not? And just so you know, Moses only started leading the Israelites out of the desert when he was 80. So there is no retirement plan in the Lord right? You've got all this character and all this experience and, and it, 
And what's your ambition in Christ? That you want to lay hold of by faith. Oh, right, there's this helmet of salvation. For me, this is the one I, I have the hardest time um, figuring out what the helmet of salvation does. Like, how does that work? A helmet of salvation? What? Is this just overlap with the belt of truth? Where you think the truth? And so how I'm working with it, and if you have a better idea than me, then you're welcome to share with me. But in Christ, we actually do have this sure hope. Like, salvation works. God's salvation works. It really does work. And you know how your story is going to end, Christian. How is your story going to end? Streets of gold, gigantic cubazoid city, no need of a son because of the face of Jesus, eating at a table with Abraham, and it's going to be great. That's, that's the end of your story. It's already written, so you have a sure hope. This, and so you put that sure hope on there. I do know how this is going to end. And in the meantime, I know how it's going to go. The glory of God is going to spread throughout the entire world. And I like to think of stories from church history that just remind me that God is winning. Okay? I'm sorry the winning word's kind of been taken over by bad characters in Hollywood, but God is winning. Today, is he's winning. He's winning right now. He's winning, he's winning, he's winning. And, and we need to remind ourselves because of kind of thought theology in the last hundred years, um, a lot of influential teachers have just been saying, like, next year's the rapture. Just look at the politics. Next year's the rapture. Just look at the... the the sexual life and, and divorce. So next year's a rapture. It's, it's all over. Next year it's all going to be over. Next year it's going to be over. And we've been predicting the return of Christ because of how bad things are constantly in, for the last long, long time. And in the meantime, what's actually been happening is God's been spreading the church around the world. He's like, ah, so bad. We're losing. We're all going to die. And then, you know, a hundred million people become Christians in China or whatever it is. Like, it's, it is a sure hope. We do know that the gospel is going to go throughout the entire world. We do know this. It's a sure hope. It's, it is a sure hope. It is a sure hope. I just, like, the church started with 120 people in a room at Pentecost. And now there, there's like 2 billion people who at least claim the name of Jesus. What? And for most of that time, we thought we were losing. For most of that time, we thought, this is the end, this is the last time, it's all over, the best thing, it's all done, and Rome fell, and then oh, then, 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 then the British Empire fell apart, and then oh, the, the, the Reformation, oh my goodness, and then uh, liberal Christianity, and, oh, and then the parades, and then, oh, it's all going to fall apart. And now there's more Christians now than there ever have been. Aha! Like, even in the 1900s, did you know, like, if you took a time machine back to 1900, um, Things were pretty bad in the West with the church because there was lots of like bad teaching um, that you know say Jesus isn't actually God, He didn't actually come back from the dead. There's no such thing as miracles, and lots of people were believing that stuff. And uh, and so what God did is He He started the Pentecostal movement, and in like a hundred years they went from like one really weird meeting in California, I think it was, to 800 million Christians around the world. In a hundred years, in one hundred years, he started a church that went around the planet with hundreds of millions of converts. Okay? That's the helmet of salvation. When you, when you put that into your brain instead of the evening news, that's the helmet of salvation action. God, God has this habit of winning while the Christians look around going, ah, it's all over, right? We're all back in the boat. Jesus is sleeping in the boat and we're just, we're all dead! And then Jesus wakes up and says, shut up, storm. 
And we look around, ah, church, church membership's falling down, ah, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. How about all of Africa get saved? Right? And this is history. This is, this is not even the, the Bible, which we kind of, it's kind of, we think it's history, but the other time we don't, uh, what do we do with this? This is just like, there's photographs and videotapes of all this stuff. So that's the helmet of salvation action. We're going to win. We, we are winning. We're going to win. The question of whether or not we were going to win or not was settled when Jesus got out of the grave. We're winning. We are going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win. You're going to win. It's just going to be hard, but you're going to win. It's going to be hard. You're going to win. It's going to be hard. You're going to win. Jesus is winning. God is winning. It's going to not look like it a lot, but you're winning. The church is winning. And when Paul wrote this, there were only a few thousand Christians in the world. There were only a few churches in the world. Bah! All right, the Word of God. A great canon. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul calls it a sword of the Spirit. He's talking about Roman armor. I'm talking about battleships. Okay. Um, have you, I, I've, I've called us to do this a few times, have you yet, uh, when you needed to, just shouted out God's word into the great blue? Have you had, had a time where you just read through a psalm really loud because you were just wanted to quit or you were really hurt or it felt like the enemy was trying to kill you? Have you done that yet? Okay, so I got, did it work? Okay, okay, nice and loud. If you've done it, did it work? Yeah. It works, Okay. Declaring the word of God really does work. And this God loves it. He loves it. Speak, vocal cords into air, that's useless. What you need is a gun. No, I'm telling you, speaking the word of God actually works. That's why Jesus did it when he was in the desert fighting Satan himself. He quoted God's word out loud to defeat the enemy. And we're not better than Jesus. Let's do it. Let's do it some more. Let's do like Psalm 27. It's awesome. And just go through Colossians again. And you should do it. And we need to do it. And if you don't want to do it, you're probably being oppressed in that moment. If it's just like, I can't do it. I can't say the word of God out loud. That's when you need to fight. Because there may be a spirit. Now I'm getting crazy. There may be a spirit there just resisting you connecting with God to get free when you're feeling bound up with something. But I, 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 know, I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I get it. I get it. I mean, I don't, how many degrees do I have to get before somebody might think I'm not crazy? I don't know. I could get another one. I actually did well at school, so I don't know how that works out. Like, you're crazy. I know it sounds crazy. On the other hand, it works. To fend off the oppression, to fend off the lies, to fend off the, the temptations with the spoken word of God. Isn't it better just to say, it works, so I'll do it, and I'll figure it out along the way? And being ready to submit and obey the word of God is super powerful. Jesus started off his ministry by declaring the word of God to Satan to defeat him. Jesus ended his ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane by yielding to the will of God in order to defeat Satan. He obeyed. Sometimes when you just don't know what else to do, just find some way to obey God. Because there's power in obedience Obeying the word of God, submitting to the word of God is powerful. All right. Number seven, prayer in the spirit. 
praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Um, Okay, one of my character flaws is I have a habit to say something is the biggest and most important thing, and then I come along and say that something else is also the biggest and most important thing. And I'm going to do that right now, and don't get confused, but that the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our church and in your life is the most important thing, and also the cross. And, and they are both the most important thing, and though they happen at different moments, they're both God's will. They're his one thing for the church dead in Christ, resurrected in Christ, filled by the Spirit. It's God's one great salvation with so many facets. Um, Are you excited about being filled with the Spirit? Do you regularly try to get filled with the Spirit again? I know there's different theologies about this, but the question is, are you filled with the Spirit? Whatever you think about this, are you filled with the Spirit and can people tell? That's the question. No. Um, I went to McDonald's one time. It's the one time they got my order wrong, and I drove home. And somehow, instead of two orders of extra-large french fries and six McDoubles, which is a really great way to get full for cheap, they gave me a wrap. <laughs> and a salad. They could tell me that they'd gotten my order right, but I knew it was in the bag, right? We don't need to tell each other if we're full of the Spirit. What's in the bag? It's in the bag of your life. What's coming out of you? Is it the, the wonderful smell of beef tallow and hot, pa- hot potato? Or is it like a wrap? <laughs> with, with guilt lettuce. <laughs> I need to buy some with lettuce so I don't feel guilty. <laughs> Too close? Too soon? So this kind of prayer that Paul is saying is super powerful is prayer in the Spirit. And so how does this work? Don't worry about it. Just say, Spirit, fill me up, and then do what he leads you to do, and go for it, and trust him. He's actually a really great leader and friend, and he loves you, and he's for you. So sometimes you just need to jump off the diving board. But this also includes things like praying for miracles, right? Prayer in the Spirit is prayer that is supernatural and meant to accomplish supernatural. If you want to change the world, why don't you pray for God to do things that people can't do? Let's keep doing that, as well as deliverance. This is the one everybody's wondering if I was going to talk about because it's weird. There was this time, multiple times in Jesus' ministry, where he'd go to church, and then all of a sudden somebody would stand up and start shouting at him, I know who you are, you're the only one of God, or something like that, which hasn't happened at Calvary recently, which we're really grateful for. But wouldn't it be weird if somebody just jumped up in the middle of a service and just started shouting things? And then I, in response, said to them, shut up and come out, and they kind of flopped on the ground a little bit, and then they came back and wondered what everybody was staring at them for. Would that be weird? Okay, that was normal in the life of Jesus and in the apostolic time to have those kind of power encounters. And what the Bible teaches us is that it is possible for um, demonic spirits, unclean spirits to so connect themselves or attach themselves with somebody. And it doesn't say exactly how these things happen, but it does happen that they can even override their speech and their behavior sometimes. So not just an oppression where you feel low or you feel discouraged or you're stuck believing lies, but you're actually taken over to a point. And prayer in the Spirit can set that out. Praying, God, would you set this person free? Holy Spirit, would you come and deliver them in the name of Jesus? We set you free using the name of Jesus and the Word of God in this. This, I think, I want to put underneath um, 
prayer in the spirit where you're operating the authority of god to actually kick something out um this this does happen and this will happen okay as we follow god weird things will happen and that's fine and we can all take a deep breath and um as long as you're ready to pray and we're ready to work through the mess everyone's going to be fine and can i just say i don't want anybody feeling embarrassed if you get set free from something the bible never teaches us if somebody got set free from the demon and they spent the rest of their life feeling ashamed it never says that you're supposed to just celebrate the freedom that jesus brings because all of us are a mess without christ all of us are bound up without christ all of us are just uh have jumped out of the airplane without a parachute without christ we're we're, we're just a future skid mark on paper pavement without christ and so the more freedom that comes through christ in anybody's life let's just rejoice okay let's just rejoice and may may the lord be pleased to set people free in every way all right perseverance paul says to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints so in this prayer life in this going through life he says stay alert to what's going on with all perseverance and we've been talking a bit about perseverance but i just want to underline it again endurance is a weapon endurance is a cannon last man standing is the last man standing for a reason life is beyond thunderdome two men enter one man leave and you really hope that you get the chainsaw full of gas and i've lost everybody and that's okay um, I haven't been in a lot of fights in my life, and usually when the fights showed up, I was so surprised that it started that I kind of just was surprised and tried to walk away. Um, I don't I enjoy hitting people unless it's for fun. But I did take some Taekwondo classes for a while when I was a teenager, and I noticed this. like You, you wouldn't hit people regularly in it, but sometimes you'd have touch sparring where you could kind of try to lightly tap people, which I sometimes accomplished, but because I'm not super coordinated, the amount of force that actually hit that person's face was totally out of my control, and I don't apologize for it. But I do know, did notice a fact, okay? Um, as an immature fighter, what would happen is if I actually managed to hit the person, I would kind of be like whoa and i would stop whoa i did something whoa that's crazy or that person would hit you one time and you'd be like whoa i just got hit and you just kind of stand there i just got hit what what's going on now i don't watch a lot of mixed martial arts videos but when i do it's definitely a one-hour binge of just knockout highlights and what i've noticed is that when these guys are real fighters they they throw their punches and they throw their kicks and when someone starts falling down they don't just go whoa and watch them fall down they jump on them and hit them in the head until the referee pulls them off one person's giggling i see that i've lost the people here in a real fight when someone's going down you don't just say whoa you jump on them and hit them until somebody pulls you off because it's a real fight and so what paul is saying here is you've got a sword you've got a shield you've got the armor you've got the belt you you got prayer and and don't stop fighting for whatever reason just don't stop don't don't just don't stop you swing your sword until your buddies come along and say it's over <laughs> they pull you up well, i'm not sure he's dead i still see something moving over there yeah but the, it's it's just there's a call to endurance if you get hit endure if you start to win endure if you really get knocked down get up and endure if you are really starting to win um the feeling of really starting to win is how david had that whole bathsheba episode he felt like i'm really winning here and i can just send my army out to do it and i can just hang out and relax and that's when bathsheba led to the amnon led to absalom's rebellion and tens and tens of thousands of israelites dead in the civil war 
It happened because he's, he chose to not persevere as a warlord in Israel. So fire the cannon of perseverance. Don't, don't stop till you get enough. And finally, boldly proclaiming the gospel. Paul prays, would you pray that I would be able to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel as I, as I ought to? And there are lots of different ways you can boldly proclaim. Um, the internet isn't always the best place for it because uh, Facebook is just a fight waiting to happen. Uh, but, and the boldness doesn't always mean brashness and boldness doesn't always mean harshness. Boldness can just mean like you, you know what you're doing. You're serving Jesus and telling people the truth of God. Of God. I also think it means um, bringing the name of Jesus into things, like your prayer or deliverance sessions. I'm, I'm going to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus over people because Jesus is alive and he is the one who does the work. But there's also a place for argumentation and persuasion. In spiritual warfare, like somebody was talking before about praying for somebody to have a heart change, um, that heart change I most likely came about in part by somebody speaking an argument for truth or persuading them to come to Christ again in a new way. So being willing to talk about Jesus and argue politely about Jesus is a weapon, as well as singing. I'm going to end on the singing part. The band can get ready if they want to, though they don't have to follow me in the key I'm about to choose. In my daily routine at work, I have a to-do list that I try to get through, and every day I have in there, sing. Just sing out loud. That's on my daily to-do list. And fortunately, Darian has not been in the building every time I've tried to fulfill that job so far, which is great. If you want to sum together many of the things we've talked about, many of the canons, the proclaiming of the gospel, moving in the spirit, persevering in trial, wielding the word of God, building up your hope, building up your faith, being ready to walk in forgiveness and believe in the cross and to believe who you are in Christ and to really embrace the truth, I want to commend to you the spiritual warfare of singing. Singing out loud. It really does change things. And especially when you grab a song that's really got some great words. One of the things about Christian culture nowadays is we kind of move through our songs every six months which on the one hand means that we don't actually know if we're getting really great doctrine because it's just passing through. And on the other hand, we don't actually learn to have Christian songs go way down deep into our soul so that everybody knows the lyrics. I have the hardest time with lyrics because we, we don't sing the same songs that often. And, and there's good and bad, and, and I'm not complaining, and I'm just making an observation. But if you want to change how your day is going, if you want to win over discouragement, and if you want to really change the world, I want to commend to you to the practice of beginning to sing to the Lord for his sake and your sake and nobody else's. Because my God is a lion. Like he is a lion. He's a lion of Judah. And he's roaring in power. And he's fighting my battles, and every knee will bow before him. That's the word of God. Every knee will bow. If it's got knees, it's going to bow to Jesus. And my God is the lamb. He's the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world, and that includes mine. His blood breaks the chains. Aren't we talking about getting free? Every knee must bow before the lion and the lamb. And every knee will bow before him.
Don't forget this one. I'm going to change the song. Because I'm not done yet. When Satan tempts me to despair, do you ever get tempted to despair? And tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there. It's so powerful when you're just alone with Christ. Who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied. You know God is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. You won't know the, the calls to this next one, so that's okay. I've sung it before. It's an oldie, but I love it. A mighty fortress is our God. Maybe some Lutherans know this. A bulwark never failing. Bulwark means an awesome castle. A helper, he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. That means bad things. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. If we in our own strength confide, our strivings would be losing. If not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that might be? Here's the best part. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name. That means Lord of battles. From age to age the same. And He he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should seek to undo, we shall not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His wrath we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure one little word shall fail him that word above all earthly powers no thanks to them abideth the kingdom and the gifts our ours with him who with us sideth let goods and kindred go this mortal life also the body they may May kill God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. How do you think I feel right now? <laughs> like a loser? Uh uh-uh. uh. Why don't you try it? Why don't we do it together?